At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Dealing with pests can be a pain, but relax, Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. We are actuaries. In a world filled with unpredictability, we use our math skills to navigate uncertainty. Actuaries make a difference in people's lives across industries and the world. Actuaries have the freedom to work anywhere. And according to U.S. News & World Report, we're the 25th top-paying career. Make an impact as a fact-seeker and a truth-teller. Use your math skills for good as an actuary. The world needs you. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. Tucker Carlson's Trump derangement syndrome dance party went into reruns last night and was then canceled out of sheer boredom, whereupon its star gave up and ran away. And Carlson, clearly terrified and no longer in control of whatever it was he had been trying to do with the January 6th government video he had gained illicit access to, headed for the hills. And before you could say Kevin McCarthy wasn't watching, Carlson was reduced to playing a tape of an old interview with Russell Brand, who used to be a comedian or something. If you want to truly go conspiracy theory on this week, the whole farce could not have done more damage to Tucker Carlson and Fox quote news unquote if it had been designed to do so. The further Carlson went out onto that limb, the more those who helped him out there backed away. Before the day was over, Kevin McCarthy was again revealing he didn't even watch. A prediction here, that was the last time you will hear about January 6th from Tucker Carlson for a long, long time. For one practical thing, Carlson apparently ran out of new hidden January 6th video. He literally had to show old hidden January 6th video. The exact same tape last night of the QAnon shaman that he ran Monday night, right down to the exact same narration that ran Monday night. Carlson also gave an amazingly tedious 20-minute monologue, and listen, I know a tedious 20-minute monologue when I hear one. I have given one or two of them in my life. It was fleshed out with vague demands for apologies from Liz Cheney and Anderson Cooper. Its tone lacked all of the drama of Monday night's sales job, and it sunk quickly from frightening to kvetchy. And it was highlighted by the epitome of self-unawareness, a Tucker Carlson lecture on how to tell when terrified small men are lying to you. Then, tellingly, 
28 hours after the revelation of the text in which he said of Trump, I hate him passionately, Tucker Carlson ran a dead serious report from poor Kevin Cork gushing about Trump's recent promise that if elected, we will all get new freedom cities and flying cars and a pony, probably. Carlson did not say this was him begging for mercy from Trump after the I hate him passionately text was revealed. He didn't have to say that. So the Carlson January 6th video gaslighting ended with a whimper and not a bang. Something approaching or exceeding a third of the whole thing was just footage of Jacob Chansley, the QAnon shaman, walking around the halls of Congress, which to Carlson was supposed to be as dramatic and decisive as the Zapruder film. And Carlson's conclusion was that since Chansley didn't kill any police or melt anything inside Congress with his eyes, clearly the violent insurrection was not a violent insurrection. In conclusion, January 6th is a land of contrasts. Thank you. Carlson may have exited stage right out of fear or under orders from his bosses and terminated early his quixotic quest to gaslight the coup and lay the ground for the House Republicans to undermine the January 6th committee on Trump's behalf. But while he bailed out, America piled on. Tucker Carlson and Fox, quote, news, unquote, were attacked by everybody from Ben Shapiro to Joe Biden. An ad hoc committee centered by former George W. Bush presidential ethics advisor demanded the House investigate Speaker McCarthy and others for the backroom deal that gave Carlson access to that video that turned out to be an utter boring dud. Liz Cheney issued not an apology, but a dare. If House Republicans want new Jan 6 hearings, she wrote, bring it on. Senator Cornyn of Texas attacked his House GOP colleagues, saying, I think they need to watch a little less cable TV. And as Speaker McCarthy refused to agree with Carlson, refused to disagree with Carlson, refused to say if he was going to watch any of Carlson's segments later, insisted he had not watched any of Carlson's segments so far, Asked if Carlson was right when he said January 6th was, quote, mostly peaceful, McCarthy instead answered something about CNN and Congressman Eric Swalwell of California while CNN was unearthing a radio interview from January 12th, 2021, in which McCarthy said the mob, quote, overtook the place. People brought ropes, straps, possibly to kidnap people inside the house. Anybody that participated, McCarthy said, needs to go to court, needs to go to jail. Unquote. Ben Shapiro, clearing his traditional people who own homes that might be flooded due to climate change will have already sold them brain fog, told his audience that January 6th, quote, wasn't a peaceful event. Tucker also gave credence to the original falsehoods that I think Trump was speaking from November 4th to January 6th, which is that the election was capable of being overturned, that Trump legitimately won the election. Shapiro was far more critical even than the president and his spokesman. More than 140 officers were injured on January 6th, Biden wrote. I've said before, how dare anyone diminish or deny the hell they went through. I stand with the Capitol Police. I hope House Republicans feel ashamed for what was done to undermine our law enforcement. The White House press spokesman Andrew Bates was left to hit Carlson directly and personally, quote, we also agree with what Fox News' own attorneys and executives have now repeatedly stressed in multiple courts of law that Tucker Carlson is not credible. 
The most significant blowback to this disaster, though, had a little bit more meat on the bones. The appeal to the House Ethics Committee I mentioned earlier. It was from Richard Painter, who was Bush's ethics lawyer and wasn't too busy while he did it, and Norm Eisen, Obama's ethics lawyer, plus Lisa Gilbert and Craig Holman from the group Public Citizen. They wrote, quote, The exclusive release of the January 6th video footage appears to have been the result of a political agreement between Speaker McCarthy, Tucker Carlson, and others in McCarthy's bid to become Speaker. They demanded an investigation. The language is formal and controlled. The insinuation is that there may have been something that violated House rules, maybe even laws, governing McCarthy's decision to let Carlson have the video. That bored everybody. Law professor Lawrence Tribe went further, albeit probably unrealistically. How about, Tribe asked, charging McCarthy with stealing government property? Well, sure, why not? The feistiest response was Liz Cheney's, and if McCarthy and the radical right who still hold the power to oust him even vaguely understand that the video on the Tucker Carlson show was less gaslight than it was stomach gas, this might give them pause about the essential plan to send a new January 6th committee to go and investigate the last January 6th committee. Tweeted Cheney, Bring it on. Let's replay every witness and all the evidence from last year. But this time, those members who sought pardons and or hid from subpoenas should sit on the dais so they can be confronted on live TV with the unassailable evidence. And of course, invoking those January 6th hearings, the former congressman underscored why the Carlson gaslight gambit went so horribly, horribly wrong. Whatever else you thought of them, the committee hearings last year had drama and action and were, forgive me, good TV. Whatever else you thought of it, Carlson's video presentation was boring as hell. From decades of having made daily decisions about how to convey things viscerally through video on television, I get it. I have a little empathy, if not sympathy, for Carlson's producers. If you want to show that January 6th was not a violent insurrection, that it was sightseers, you have to show the audience whatever looks the most like grandma's summer vacation home movies from 1962. But there are two insurmountable problems with that. To borrow from another set of old daily decisions of mine, you could show highlights from that baseball game years ago in which the Phillies beat the Cubs 23-22, and you could try to convince people that, no, it was actually a nothing-nothing, double-no-hit game. You could show not the 11 home runs that were hit, but the 11 strikeouts and the 15 walks. The first insurmountable problem is, no matter what highlights of calm and serenity and in action you show, the final score still was 23 to 22, and there are lots of people out there who just will not join you in lying about the score. But the second insurmountable problem is what did in Tucker Carlson, and by extension, what did in Kevin McCarthy, and by extension, what did in Donald Trump. That tape full of walks and strikeouts is what we in television call a tough watch. Nobody wants to see walks and strikeouts. Nobody will sit there and watch walks and strikeouts. In this case, the Tucker Carlson crowd was expecting, I don't know, 
Video of Nancy Pelosi smashing open a Capitol window with her head. Or at least shots of this guy, Ray Epps, doing something rather than just standing there. And all Tucker Carlson, and ultimately all this will be remembered as, is Tucker Carlson having just this three nights worth of video of this idiot, the QAnon shaman, wandering around the Capitol halls looking like he'd lost his wallet somewhere. It was not violent. Unfortunately, for Tucker Carlson and the Gaslighters, it also was not interesting. Still ahead of us in this edition of Countdown, the 150th edition of the podcast. A Texas state representative is now pushing a secession referendum there. Earlier from him, he presented an offer for the death penalty for abortions and another bill that would give a tax break for straight married couples who've never been divorced. But now, an enterprising reporter has discovered that that Texas state rep appears to have found his wife on a website that bills itself as an alternative option to mail-order brides from the Philippines. In paste-eating news, CNN's president tells his troops to, quote, avoid the sugar high of ratings. That shouldn't be a problem. And he promises his new show will stop people in their tracks because of its new theme song. And the question used to be NBC's biggest promotional catchphrase, where in the world is Matt Lauer? Well, where in the world is Matt Lauer? The answer may be hell. A story from before the revelations that should have set off more alarm bells than it did. The day he tried to get me fired from NBC for getting a huge scoop interview with somebody everybody wanted to interview. The problem was Lauer wanted to interview him first. That's next. This is Countdown. This is Count at Bed 365. We don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you run for office or take on the country's biggest problems, but they can help you solve one of the peskiest problems at home, pests. You know, the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, even the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. Their expertly trained technicians may not know intricate political strategy, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. 
Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Down with Keith Olbermann. Postscripts to the news, some headlines, some updates, some snarks, some predictions. Dateline Washington, Representatives Marjorie Trader Greene and James Comer say they and the staff of the House Oversight Committee are setting up a tour uh, for a congressional delegation to go see January 6th insurrectionists in a D.C. jail. One-way trip, I hope. Dateline Raleigh, North Carolina, after a judge said his sexual battery suit against CPAC Major Domo and theocratic hypocrite Matt Schlapp could not continue were he to remain anonymous, 39-year-old Carlton Huffman put his name on the suit. He is a longtime aide to Republican campaigners, and you know what he accuses Schlapp of doing. It is nice to be able to put a name to the... Uh, face. Thank you, Nancy Faust. Dateline New York. Puck News reports that CNN president and guy who, when we worked together at MSNBC, we all thought ate paste, Chris Licht has held a company town hall in which he claims his new CNN programs have created buzz and are driving the conversation and other cliches he once heard a real television executive say. Licht added that his new midday show, quote, will stop people in their tracks because of the new set and the theme song. Licht also told staffers, quote, no short-term audience gain is worth doing long-term damage to our brand and advised them to, quote, avoid the sugar high of ratings, which shouldn't be a problem at CNN. By late Tuesday night, CNN's ratings had sunk to one-third of MSNBC's, and MSNBC's ratings are terrible. Ahead, in retrospect, boy, were MSNBC and NBC bad places to work. A large part of that was the presence then of Matt Lauer. If he liked you, if you did what he told you to do, it was a golden ticket. But if you crossed him, he would try to destroy you. Well, first he liked me, then he tried to destroy me. Coming up in things I promised not to tell. First, time for the daily roundup of the miscreants, morons, and Dunning-Kruger effect specimens who constitute today's worst persons in the world. The bronze. 
Jesse Waters, proof that if you hang around Fox quote news unquote long enough, taking the manure out to fertilize the lawns, eventually they'll give you your own show. Jesse Waters, now part of two different hours devoted to distracting viewers from reality, announced yesterday about Dr. Anthony Fauci, who's helped save countless American lives despite the best efforts of Trump and idiots like Waters to kill them. He said of Fauci, quote, I always thought we were going to arrest him. And then he said it'll have to wait until a Republican attorney general. Jesse Waters used to be Bill O'Reilly's in-house stalker, assigned to go harass women reporters who had been critical of O'Reilly for, you know, his lying and his fascism and his misogyny and his threats. Bill O was convinced that Fox Security could arrest people who said things on his show that he didn't like, so naturally Waters would conflate the bubble in which he lives at Fox with the Republican Party and with, you know, law enforcement. You do that, little Jesse. You and your we go arrest Dr. Fauci. Runners-up, the fascist school board at the infamous Penridge High School District in Pennsylvania, halfway between Philadelphia and Allentown, halfway between 2023 and the year 900. They're not satisfied with sneaking book bans into play. The Bucks County Beacon has discovered that several titles made controversial by the Republicans remained in the school library, sometimes with as many eight or nine copies of each book available, but... Each copy of each of these books had been checked out. Eight or nine of each book checked out for one year. Do you want to read John Green's Looking for Alaska? The library computer system says the wait until the book is available is between 357 and 358 days. But our winner, Brian Slayton, Texas state representative who has filed a bill that would put a referendum on the next ballot there, asking voters to decide whether or not Texas should investigate secession. Yeah, good idea. Every year, Texas gets around $36 billion more in funds and resources from the federal government and from the blue states than it gives to the federal government. Now imagine a Texas without that $36 billion a year, without any U.S. military bases, whose schools could not play sports against American colleges, where the Space Center would be moved out. Without American funding, Texas would be bankrupt in days. As one South Carolinian said of his state as it started to secede before the Civil War, Texas is too small for a republic and too large for an insane asylum. But wait, there's more about this guy, Slayton, Representative Brian Slayton. He has previously introduced bills in the Texas legislature to make all abortions in Texas illegal and punishable by death. We're right to life. We're going to kill you. It was also another bill of his criminalized gender affirming care for kids. And last month, he introduced a tax credit for, quote, qualifying married couples. Those would be ones who were straight and had never been divorced. All of this holier-than-thou interference in people's private lives led a Texas Observer reporter named Stephen Monticelli to do a little digging on Representative Slayton. Let me just read you what Monticelli said he found. Quote, Did not expect to learn today that a Texas state representative's wife of only a few years advertised herself on a dating website that promotes itself as an alternative to Thailand and Philippines mail-order bride agencies. Unless there's another woman, he went on, who looks similar, is the same age, and has the same name as Slayton's wife, it seems that Brian Slayton's wife had a profile on 
Find Love Asia, where she was friends with a now-defunct account named Irish Ranger. Monticelli of the Texas Observer observes that the profile bore the name Charmin Sagare Yabo, and the representative's wife calls herself Charmin Y. Slayton. And looky here, they each had the same jobs listed on their LinkedIn pages. And yeah, who cares? Love is love. But Slayton thinks that should only be true for him, and he's legislating against it being true for anybody else. So, F him. Texas Representative Brian, I can't remember if I cried when I read about his mail-order bride, Slayton. Today's worst... At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you run for office or take on the country's biggest problems, but they can help you solve one of the peskiest problems at home, pests. You know, the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, even the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. Their expertly trained technicians may not know intricate political strategy, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it, Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Psst! Person in the world! Still ahead on Countdown, boy was he a schmuck. Somebody asked me recently, where in the world is Matt Lauer? I should have known it was far worse than we did know at NBC. One time I got a great scoop, opened a door for him to get a greater scoop, and so he tried to get my scoop killed, my show canceled, and me fired. The Matt Lauer, Terry Schiavo story next. 
first in each edition of Countdown, we feature a dog in need you can help. Every dog has its day. To New York and Basil, an 88-pound tan and white pity mix. And this is simple. He doesn't like other dogs. When he's calm and not at a kill pound, he'll ignore other dogs, but under stress, he becomes terrified of them. He needs to be the solo dog in a home, but he's great with people. Fun, gentle, a big goofball. They call him the pup for absolutely everybody. The New York Pound has put him on death row, and time is running out. Our pledges to help defray a rescue's expenses to get him out of there are his only chance. You can find Basil on my Twitter feed. There's a video of him not reacting to other dogs. And your pledges and retweets could save him. I thank you, and Basil thanks you. To the number one story on the countdown and my favorite topic, me and things I promised not to tell. And somebody asked me the other day, whatever happened to Matt Lauer? And I said, I don't know, but I hope it was unpleasant. If the name Matt Lauer is remembered at all today, it is for two facts. One, that he was the face of NBC News until November 29th, 2017, when the network suddenly announced there were credible allegations against him of sexual misconduct and that he had been fired effective immediately. And two, The lesser-known fact that everybody at NBC knew he was an evil figure who dominated all of management at 30 Rock and in many cases coerced them into looking the other way, despite decades of abuse of women employees and of bullying and retribution against male employees, including other people on TV. This was so well-known inside NBC News that even some of us who had left and had been gone for years knew in advance he was to be fired. I found out, like four days before it happened. And much of the bad conduct, at least the bad conduct in the office involving the male employees, I saw happen in real time. When I returned to NBC in February 2003, I was one of Lauer's favorites, for some reason. My show, Countdown, was the last program he watched before he went to sleep, or maybe more correctly, before he went to bed. He used to do these moronic where in the world is Matt Lauer segments in which he created video clues as to his whereabouts that would run on the Today Show. And one day, one of his producers called and said Lauer was such a fan of Countdown, he wanted to do a special clue just for Countdown. Well, we had like 200,000 viewers a night. We took whatever we could get. Some free Matt Lauer? Sure. By the way, I was reminded recently that one MSNBC wag used to answer that rhetorical question, where in the world is Matt Lauer, by answering, in the bedroom of somebody else's wife. Anyway, Lauer. If you think the Republicans' ability to turn any tragedy into a political issue is something new, or that television's ability to turn any tragedy into ratings is something new, or that Matt Lauer's ability to make anything worse was something new, consider the case of Terry Schiavo. Terry Schiavo was a woman in Florida, 26 years old, struck by cardiac arrest. It did not kill her, but it left her in a living nightmare. She was in a, quote, persistent vegetative state, not brain dead, but neither was she conscious. And worse, her eyes were open and her head moved constantly and involuntarily and in a regular pattern. Her parents, I guess understandably unwilling to accept this terrible fate, quickly discovered that if you moved a balloon through her hospital room, Terry Schiavo's head and gaze would seem to follow the balloon. 
Unfortunately, if you did not move a balloon through her hospital room, Terry Schiavo's head and gaze would still follow the same exact path as it did when there was a balloon. Her husband, Michael, spent seven years in the courts trying to get his wife's feeding tube removed and thus release her and him and everybody in the family from this living hell. And her parents fought him. And finally, in 2003, the parents went public. They showed video of their daughter, her head following that balloon around the hospital room. They contacted every politician who would take their call. The Republican leader in the Senate, Dr. Bill Frist of Tennessee, a heart surgeon, said on the Senate floor that, of course, he could not diagnose a patient just from a videotape. And then he proceeded to diagnose a patient just from a videotape. He said on the Senate floor she should not be taken off life support. The Shibos eventually got Republicans to pass a bill in the House and Senate, taking her case away from the Florida courts and putting it into the federal courts. And President George W. Bush actually flew back from vacation in Texas to Washington just to sign that law on camera, of course. This was a topic for all of tabloid television and for all of tabloid television that pretends it is not tabloid television, like the Today Show. And it went on for months. Eventually, there was a pack of guests willing to appear on your show and imply cleverly that Michael Shibo had caused his wife's vegetative state and was now trying to, quote, finish the job. From my own network, Joe Scarborough, who had been a lawyer, put on Terry Shibo's brother and sister, and they both implied there was, quote, foul play. Joey Scars put it this way. I am quoting him. They can attack every last person who is trying to save this young woman from starvation. But in the end, Americans shocked by this macabre chapter in American politics will see the Democrats as the party on the side of death and see George Bush as the defender of defenseless, unquote. Joe Scarborough, MSNBC. Joe Scarborough is a jackass and a fraud. If you watch his show, you are getting hustled. If you go on his show, there's another word for that. Anyway, finally, sanity prevailed. A court ordered the feeding tube removed in March 2005. Two weeks later, Terry Schiavo died. The autopsy showed her brain was half its normal size. It had been irreversibly damaged 15 years earlier. There were no signs of physical trauma, not the slightest indication of foul play. In January of 2006, I got a phone call. It was Michael Schiavo. He said, rather matter-of-factly, that he had tried to avoid watching as the tragedy he and his wife endured was turned into a multi-network soap opera. But he found that there was one reporter who tried to balance the hysteria and to treat him fairly, and that that was me. And he wanted to know if I wanted to be the first person to interview him. Nothing fancy, he said. This guy, Matt Lauer, he said, had been calling him once a week and wanted to walk with him on the beaches of Florida and do a three-hour interview for Today and Nightly News and Dateline and MSNBC. Michael Schiavo didn't want to do any of that, and he didn't like Matt Lauer at all. And he was thinking if he had to sit down with one of the celebrity interviewers, it would probably be Diane Sawyer, but he hadn't made up his mind yet. What Michael Schiavo wondered was if he could just go to a studio in Tampa one morning before work and have me go to a studio in New York and I could interview him remotely. Well, naturally, I said yes. So on February 1st, 2006, I got up way earlier than usual. I went into 30 Rock. I got into a studio. I taped an interview with Michael Schiavo. 
bluntly, he was as dull an interviewee as I could imagine, and my questions were deliberately not hysterical, but it was a good factual interview. And for a network that struggled as much as MSNBC, it was a big deal just for journalistic credibility, just to balance what we had been playing on the Scarborough show. Everybody at NBC News knew we were doing it. We recorded it at NBC News using NBC News control rooms and videotape. Everybody knew, including the president of NBC News, Steve Kappas, and the executive producers of Today, Nightly News, Dateline, all of whom were interested in using clips of the interview. After I finished, I went and visited the executive in charge of MSNBC in his office at 30 Rock. Then I went home and I took a nap before I went into MSNBC in the late afternoon to prepare my 8 p.m. show. When the phone rang there, it was Steve Kappas, president of NBC News. Look, you've interfered with the Today Show's longstanding plans and commitments. We have signed contracts with Michael Schiavo. Matt Lauer is furious. But I understand Schiavo offered you this interview so you couldn't have known how you were violating the Today Show and Matt. I pointed out that Schiavo had said specifically that he had not signed anything with anybody. The president of NBC News ignored this. Here's the offer Matt and I will make you. You don't run the interview tonight. We will run a segment of it tomorrow on today, giving a full plug to Countdown. Then tomorrow night, you can run a four-minute segment. The rest of your interview can run, and I think despite what you've done to us, your interview should run after Matt Lowers does, sometime next month. I think this is a great idea since Matt wants me to fire you. I said this was the dumbest thing I had ever heard, which was saying a lot since I had spent nearly three years working at Fox. There was nothing about our interview that risked Matt Lauer's prospects of getting his own interview. In fact, it probably increased them. I could now pitch Michael Schiavo on Lauer's behalf. Michael Schiavo did not like Lauer. On the other end of the phone, Kappas gasped. Doesn't like Lauer? Don't say that! But to bury our interview for a month was crapping all over MSNBC and me and Michael Schiavo, and journalistically it was indefensible and it made me feel like walking out. Steve Kappas, whose later boss at NBC, told me that she fired him for telling her that he would never take orders from a woman, began to scream, as I noted at the time in my diary, like a 12-year-old. I offer you a way out and not getting fired and not get Matt Lauer on your ass and you threaten to quit? I pointed out that I had not threatened to quit. I told him that if there really had been a contract with Michael Schiavo, even if he had not mentioned it to me, any of the 100 NBC executives who had known about my interview with Michael Schiavo for like a week would have. I had even sent Brian Williams a note asking if there were any specific questions he wanted me to ask Schiavo so he could use a clip on NBC Nightly News. Somehow, Kappas began to scream again in an even higher-pitched voice. Matt Lauer advises me to simply kill your interview with Michael Schiavo, and I'm trying to find a way out for you. You start bringing up ancient history from a week ago? He really said that. Ancient history from a week ago. I said, why don't we do it this way? We run a 30-second clip tonight. The Today Show runs whatever it wants to tomorrow. Then we run the rest of the interview tomorrow night and the night after. Well, Kappas resumed screaming. So let me see if I got this straight. Matt Lauer is incensed over you stepping in on his interview. I'm offering you publicity on the Today Show and not getting fired. And your answer is we're going to run 17 minutes of it? I'm so impressed with your professionalism, Keith. I will always remember how cooperative you were. Fine. You do whatever you want, Mr. Professional. 
run the whole half hour tonight. Don't you understand television? Matt needs to be able to say in his first interview since his wife's death. For the 53rd time in my career at NBC News, I thought somebody was secretly filming this and making a segment on it for, I don't know, punked? Or did they still run candid camera? Well, getting back to the interview here with Kappas, I said that in a month, nobody was going to remember my interview, and Matt could still say in his first network interview since his wife's death. Well, Kappas ignored that, too. I have been advised to kill the countdown piece outright, but you do whatever you want for your little countdown show. Go ahead, incur the enmity of Matt Lauer. You think he'll forget this? Over the next two years, Matt Lauer hired away two of my producers, then made a supposed peace offering by running a segment that was to be produced by my show every Friday on the Today Show that required two of my producers to stay up all night editing and thus not work on my show on Friday. By some strange coincidence, for four consecutive weeks, the countdown piece never ran. It was just more petty revenge. The Today Show also booked me as a guest four times, canceled all four times once the morning of my interview as I was shaving to go in and do the interview. The punchline, of course, my little interview back then with Michael Schiavo ran over the next three nights. It did not really affect our ratings. It did contribute some tiny amount to the tiny amount of actual journalism MSNBC had done on the Schiavo story. It counterbalanced that schmuck Scarborough. And on March 26, 2006, the Matt Lauer interview aired with Michael Schiavo. And as NBC publicity phrased it, Michael and his new wife sit down for their first network interview with NBC News' Matt Lauer. Just like I had suggested. Thank you for listening. Countdown, episode number 150 has come to you from the studios of the Olbermann Broadcasting Empire, high atop its headquarters in the Sports Capsule Building here in New York. Here are the credits. Most of the music was arranged, produced, and performed by Brian Ray and John Philip Chanel. They are the Countdown Musical Directors. Produced by TKO Brothers. All orchestration and keyboards by John Philip Chanel. Guitars, bass, and drums by Brian Ray. Other Beethoven selections have been arranged and performed by No Horns Allowed. The sports music is the Olbermann theme from ESPN2, and it was written by Mitch Warren Davis, courtesy of ESPN Inc. Musical comments by Nancy Faust, the best baseball stadium organist ever. Our announcer today was my friend Richard Lewis. Everything else was pretty much my fault. That's countdown for this, the 793rd day since Donald Trump's first attempted coup against the democratically elected government of the United States. Arrest him now while we still can. The next scheduled countdown is tomorrow, so until then, I'm Keith Olbermann. Good morning, good afternoon, good night, and good luck. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Dealing with pests can be a pain. 
But relax, Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.